the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. A word from a new congressman on the truthfulness of his colleagues. And later, Jenny Allen of If Gathering is talking about God in times of darkness. You're listening to The Common Good. Everybody, welcome back to the Common Good on this Friday evening. So glad you're with us. It's Friday evening. Friday evening. Woo! You got any big plans tonight, Bri? Oh, uh, not that I know of. Which I, I think I've now hit the age, especially with the busyness of my children, that it's like no plans are wonderful. No plans are such good plans, aren't they? They really are. We're actually headed straight from here to the World Relief Gala. Apparently, we just go to galas. Went gala. to one last night, going one tonight. The Outreach Gala is tomorrow night, so it is gala weekend here in the Chicagoland area. I actually have a friend in Dallas who has a gala to go to, to a pro-life gala with June Hunt down in Dallas. And you know what I started thinking? Is it because it's post-tax season, people think you have your tax returns? I think it has more to do with spring. Okay, I didn't know if it was like people are going to use their yet. people yeah. are going to use their tax money to donate. I was just kind of wondering I think it has that. more to do with spring. Spring is in the air. We want to set our new fiscal year, yes. something like that. Okay, well, there's lots of galas going on. Hey, if you've missed the first part of our show, we had some incredible conversations with our friend Todd Chapman about SOS International. They're an organization we've been partnering with the past couple months because Brian and I are so passionate about what they do. SOS is on the ground around the world, rescuing women and children from just horrific situations of violent human trafficking. I mean, it is the worst of the worst, and they are rescuing Mm -hmm. these young, young children. If you missed our interview with Todd, would love to invite you to go back and catch up on the podcast. Also, would just love to invite you right now to go to our website, 1160hope.com. You'll see an SOS International banner. We would love for you to click on that and give whatever you feel like God has called you to give in order to make a difference in this terrible situation. Brian, you uh, were sharing a story about a new congressman, Jeff Jackson, something he posted on Twitter. Kind of interesting. You want to set it up for us? It was a little bit crazy. I saw this flying around Twitter and he's a new congressman. He says, we're going to listen to what he said here in a second. He said, I've been in Congress for 100 days and he has an observation I found this interesting because I think for a lot of us, it, um, you know, if you believe them, it um, confirms or affirms some things that we may have thought to be true. Mm. But also in light of what we talked about on uh, Wednesday with Fox News and that settlement with Dominion and be careful. Some of this is for show. Yeah. What people are doing. And yet we all believe it like it's the truth. Totally. So with that as the backdrop, let's listen to what Representative Jeff Jackson had to say. I'm still brand new to Congress. I've only been there 100 days. And I don't know if I'm not supposed to say this out loud, but it's true and important. And if you don't know this, you need to. It's really clear from working there for just a few months that most of the really angry voices in Congress are totally faking it. These people who have built their brands around being perpetually outraged, it's an act. I've seen a bunch of examples. Here's one. I've been in committee meetings that are open to the press and committee meetings that are closed. The same people who act like maniacs during the open meetings 
are suddenly calm and rational during the closed ones. Why? Because there aren't any cameras in the closed meetings, so their incentives are different. What I've seen is that members of Congress are surrounded by negative incentives. There are rewards for bad behavior. You know what the big one is? Being able to reach you. The big thing that modern media and modern politicians have learned is that if they can keep you angry, they'll hold your attention. And they both want your attention. So if you're a politician and you show certain media outlets that you can help them keep their audience angry, they'll give you their audience. And because so many politicians are willing to play that game, now they're in competition with each other to see how fake angry they can be. So that's real bad. But here's something good. What I love about this, about communicating with you directly, is that the incentives are different. They can be positive. They can be about speaking to you with respect and real information and in a normal tone of voice. Because if I can talk to you directly, I don't have to yell. And if you don't have to yell to be heard, the whole conversation changes. So going forward, when you hear some enraged member of Congress say something absurd, your first question shouldn't be, how can they possibly believe that? It should be, do we think they actually do? Because they probably don't. I find that to be fascinating because... I don't know that I would call it surprising. Yeah. But I certainly. find it I find it fascinating. And so uh what I find fascinating about that is this admission that behind closed doors a lot of the people who we see being really angry are not. But it's also his conclusion as to why they're angry. Yeah, it, it, it benefits them, which is what we see online, right? Yep. Like the anger, the vitriol, the fear mongering. That's what gets play, essentially. Gets on, like, yeah. Ha, have you ever wondered why a lot of the same congressmen and congresswomen are on the cable news channels, right? right? Well, right. they're probably the most boisterous, the most right. out there. Right. The Man, I just, it's not a surprise, but it is hard to hear him describe the word uh, platform mm-hmm. and, you know, when describing our congressmen and women, you'd like to think they were there for more altruistic reasons. I think but where I'm like, this is where maybe I'm just like broken and cynical. This to me feels like another tactic. Like he's like, okay, now I'm going to be the guy who says the <laughs> smooth, cool thing. And I'm going to get attention this way. He's got 6.2 million views on this thing. There like you go. there was some intentional so be strategy behind this. Yeah. So he's painting himself in a certain light and he's going to be the one telling the truth about that's how dark I am. Like I'm just almost like, Okay, sure. Now this is your little ploy. Yep, Good yep. job. Cute. That's cute. Good for you. No, like you're going to uh, Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The question before us though is why does anger, even false anger, even you know, not even genuine anger, mm-hmm. loudness, boisterous. Mm-hmm. We we do have to ask the question, why is that rewarded in yeah. a place like Congress? What with, is it about that? What is it about our culture? I think there's cable mm-hmm. news aspects mm-hmm. and other things. Why is it that the angriest, most cutting, mm-hmm. uh, least unifying voices tend to suck up all the oxygen? You know, it's so interesting. I think I'd mentioned earlier today, or maybe it was in another show this week, that I've been listening to the Art of Teaching podcast with John Mark Comer and John Tyson. And John Mark Comer was saying specifically in where he's at, Pacific Northwest, during COVID, his entire population was so anxious like Mm. one of the most and there was research backing this one of the most anxious populations in the city or in the country during covid was his population in oregon Mm. and so he made some very intentional decisions as a preacher to like he said i started grabbing a stool 
and sitting down. Interesting. I started being very slow and methodical. I started and and he was very intentional about this. He said, I used to preach kind of emotionally. I stopped doing that. And I did everything that I could during that season to be a calm, mm. non-anxious presence. And he talked about what this um, Jeff Jackson was talking about. I would speak in a slow tone. I would speak calmly. And he was talking about that in contrast to preachers who are boisterous and yelling and mm-hmm. culture warry. And he just felt like it was a gift to his people to actually sort of be the calm hmm. that they desperately needed as a way to point them to Jesus. And that's not an answer to your question necessarily, but it does but make it's a me it's a, it. it's a counter liturgy yep, to yep, it, to yep. this sort of like anxious anger, vitriol gets the attention. Well, what if there's a better way? Yeah. And and I think we have to ask ourselves, what am I doing that plays into this whole scenario? Like, do I only listen to angry people? Do the loudest voices get my attention? Right. Like, you do right. see that the people that you respect most in Congress, after you hear them speak, you're like, why do I never hear that person more? Well, there's a great reason that you mm. only hear person X or person mm. Y. It's because they say outlandish things and they get the that, that sells. And why does it sell? That's on us. That's and on so, us. Yep. The same way on Wednesday we said, hey, when it comes to Fox News, know what you're getting. Know what the know yeah. what the shtick is. Yeah. It's the same even sadly with our mm. our congressmen and women and uh, this Republican uh, Republican representative, Jeff Jackson, kind of shining a light yeah. on it. To which cynical Aubrey said, he's just building his own platform. He's doing his own thing. He's building his own platform. Coming up next, we are talking about some phrases that parents who are raising mentally strong kids never use. I want to find out if we agree with this or not. We'll have this conversation when we come back. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. All right, Brian, I was reading an article over at uh, CNBC News talking about parents who raise mentally strong kids. And apparently there are seven phrases that when their kids are young, these parents never use. All right. So if we've used and we're in trouble, apparently. But are you ready for the first one? Yes. Calm down. Here's what they say. It's never a good idea to tell your children how they should be feeling, even if you are trying to calm them down or cheer them up. We want to send the message. It's okay to feel however you're feeling, but it's important to pay attention to what you're doing with those feelings. So here's the alternative. Instead, try something like this. It looks like you're really angry right now. So you're trying to teach them that they're angry instead of uh, telling them to calm down. What do you think about this? I'm what, do you, what do you think from my, from the, from, yeah, Brian's making a facial expression. What do you think? You're, I think you're about thinking this? eye roll emoji, eye roll emoji. I think that's that's fair. What, yeah. Yeah. It's a I little ridiculous. Articles like this give uh, give little kids too much credit. I totally was. So sometimes about, you have yeah. to tell your kid, quit throwing a tantrum, as right. opposed to tell me why you're throwing a tantrum. <laughs> I, I don't know. Sometimes I I need to tell my kid, you do need to calm down. Like right. we're in a public place. Right. Calm down. You can't we'll act like this, this later right now. if you want. Right. But you need to calm down. Like. You know, your kid's all squirrely on, yeah. on an airplane. Let's pretend, and yeah, you, instead of telling like them to, to calm, calm down, down, you're like. You seem like you're a little bit worked up right now. You know who else is worked up? All the people around you. So sometimes as the parent, you're the, you're the parent less, you're more parent, less uh, counselor and say, hey, you got to calm down. Oh, man. And then we can talk about it. Maybe, maybe okay. not. Maybe okay. I just tell you to calm down and then I go back to doing what I was doing. Okay. This second one I actually like because Kevin says this to me and it it makes me infuriate, infuriated. Are you ready? Yes. 
So he says this to you. He says this to me. Don't worry about it. It's unhelpful to tell kids what to think, even if you're just trying to allay their fears. When somebody says, don't worry about it, our worries don't automatically go away. A better strategy is to teach kids what can you do when you're worried and give them some tips for dealing with their anxiety. Here's why it bugs me when Kevin does it, because I'll be like, hey, we need to talk about. I like that we've gone from an article about what not to say to your parents to to my husband husband to an event about (laughs) grinds my gears about marriage right now. He'll be like, don't worry about it, because. It's always so Kevin is a very faith filled guy, which is something I admire about him and one of the reasons I married him. But because he's so faith filled, he can be like, don't worry about it. God's got it. And I'm like, but we need to talk about it. Stop. Now you're making me think I'm not a strong enough Christian. Like we get in a fight about it. It's kind of a joke now. Like now he'll say it tongue in cheek because he knows it drives me crazy. But he'll be like, it's fine. It'll all work out. Don't worry about it. He's like got that chill that's funny. Faithful thing that makes me crazy. Moving from your marriage to kids. kids. Yeah, what do we think about saying to kids not to worry about it? So this one I can buy more than the last one. Okay. But in this sense, uh, it's probably not good just to say don't worry about it. But I think I could say to my child, my kids are older now, but I could say to when they were little, hey, don't worry about it because, mm. and kind of explain mm. why you don't need to be worried right now. Uh, so I don't think there's anything wrong with telling your kids don't worry about it. But we do know just by... We've joked about the the verse in Philippians, right? When the it starts with "Don't be anxious about anything," and that just makes you more anxious. <laughs> but, God, but but Paul gives the reason, right? Then. Right. So I think we could tell our kids, "Don't worry about it." But I think it's "Don't worry about it" because of this. Because this, and this. God's got yeah. her. Because mom yeah. and dad are taking care of it, or what have you. Okay, here's another one. Number three, you'll do fine. Don't say that to your kids. Is what they're saying. They say a positive outlook can help. But nobody has a crystal ball. You can't actually predict when your child will succeed or suffer a disappointment. So they say, in other words, promising your child you'll succeed only for them to come up short can actually hurt their confidence. So instead of saying you're going to win, the better message is get out there and do your best. If it doesn't go well, that's okay. We'll deal with that, too. This feels like participation trophy parenting. It does. Yeah. And I, I think there's also a difference between you'll do fine and you'll win. Totally. Like, I think it's, I think what I need to be built up. So I want to build my kids up and be like, you're going to be amazing, like you're but saying, not you're like, the best one ever. You're almost telling them like, hey, if you strike out, you'll be fine. Right. Like, it's not the end of the world. Right. You'll be okay. Right. As opposed to, yeah, that did feel very participation uh-huh. trophy E. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, you'll be fine to me strikes me as different than you will succeed. I, I agree. Like, I think it's okay to tell your kids like, hey, yeah, maybe you won't whatever win the whatever now, but they, like work hard you're gonna they, be awesome how they're positing this is what at any point during the run of american idol have you been a fan of american idol oh yeah certainly early on carrie and i were we don't really watch anymore yeah. but i think what they're trying to get at here is those parents who are like telling their kids you're the best you're gonna do great and everybody listening is like oh you're they're not the worst talented. and you're embarrassing your own child right that's fair that's fair but I, that feels different than you're you'll yeah. do fine yeah i think that is different okay tell me your thing about this one don't ever let me catch you doing that again here's why there's some wisdom in this one they say because kids are sneaky and all you're doing is warning them of the consequence of being caught mm-hmm. so it's not about like if you're going to do this again, here's the consequences. Not because, uh, you know, kids will read gotcha. it as like, oh, as long as they don't catch me, mm-hmm. I'm not in trouble. So, uh, yeah, this was a little more nuanced. I think it's instead of telling your kid, don't ever let me catch you doing that. Tell them, don't ever do that again. Yeah. I think Implied that's fair. with that is there will be consequences. <laughs> right. right. Uh, 
I, I do think we have to set up the boundaries and say, don't ever do that again. Don't ever do that again. Or if you're tempted to hide and cover it up, do this instead. Yeah. Like yeah. if, 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 yeah, I can see what they're saying. If you say, don't ever let me catch you doing that again, then the first thought a kid has is, Ooh, well, what can I do not to get yeah, out? Well, totally. How can I not get caught? Yeah. Which, newsflash, is what every kid thinks anyway. <laughs> That's so true. And I know that because when I was a kid, yes. that was our third thought. 100%. If was your parent thought. said, don't do that, you're like, okay, I'm going to do that again, but how do I, how can I do, how do, I do it better secretly. so they don't see it? Yes, exactly. All right, here's the next one. This is kind of connected to what we talked about earlier. Number five, parents who are raising mentally strong kids never say, you're the best. There's nothing wrong with praising your child when they perform well, but if your kids think they're only deserving of praise if they outperform everyone else... They'll suffer from unrealistic expectations and anxiety over the prospect of finishing anywhere. This one kind of rubs me the wrong way because every time my kids leave for school, I'm like, you're the best. I love you. But you're and not I don't saying mean that because ex- it, this is what exactly if I only tell my kids you're the best after they do something. Right. Then yes. They're going to think my love is contingent. Right. Upon it. But if I use the phrase you're the best when we're. They've done nothing. Right. They're literally walking to the school bus and I'm saying, hey, sweetie, I yeah. love you. You're the best. Yeah. They're not going, oh, what did I just do that made me the best? Was it? A- no, no kid <laughs> totally. thinks that way. So if I only say that when they get an A yes. or hit a home run right. or nail the piano recital yes. or whatever. Yeah. That's that, bad parenting. That could create a problem. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Here's another one. That's perfect. Be careful not to raise a perfectionist, they say. A child who thinks they always have to be perfect to deserve praise. This is similar to the last one. Uh, Perfectionism in children is correlated with a range of mental health issues from anxiety to obsessive compulsive disorder. Again, I feel like some of this is like on a scale or a spectrum because let's sometimes your kids. I'm trying to think of something where you would be like, yeah, that's perfect. You did such a great job. But you're not saying like. Be perfect That's all right. the time. That's right. like some of this is a little. This okay. is all nitpicky. This is all yeah. like. Are you ready for the last one? Yeah. Can I just say this feels like it was done to write an article? Yeah, like, I I kind of agree. It says a psychologist wrote it, but I'm like, did you? Have you raised kids? kids? Are no fun. Yeah, they are no fun. They're not fun kids. Or did they parents. raise kids? <laughs> They're not <laughs> they mentally strong kids. Yes. Here's the last one. You're making me mad. The idea that your feelings can be affected by someone else's behavior is counterproductive. It can make kids think they aren't responsible. For their actions. So we don't want kids blaming other people. So instead you say phrases like, I don't like your behavior right now. I don't like the way you're acting. Here's what we could do instead. (laughs) Like it's implied. I don't like your behavior right now. And it makes me mad. And it makes me mad. All right. Well, there's some, uh, some tips that apparently... Parents raising mentally strong kids never use, but Brian and I aren't sure we like them. So Maybe our kids aren't mentally strong. Maybe, Maybe we're going to find that out. We'll find that out in a few years. Coming up next, Jenny Allen from If Gathering is talking about God in times of darkness. We're going to talk about that when we return. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. I want to play you some audio from Jenny Allen. If you don't know her, she's an author. She's a minister. She's a founder of If Gathering, this massive women's ministry. She was talking about something pretty profound, God in seasons of darkness. Let's go ahead and take a listen. I believe baked into the darkest moments of your life could be the assignments and the callings of your life. Why? Because we have a God that works all things together for the good. What does that mean? Works all things together for the good. I believe the good (laughs) is the works that you will do for other people. I believe it is not just your own personal hope and redemption story in heaven. I don't believe it's just your story. I believe for the good is for the good of others. 
for the good of the story of God, for the good of what he's doing on this planet. It's so much bigger than just you. And does that compel you? Does that thought compel you to want to share your story or to want to take a good hard look at it and to imagine, God, how could you use these broken pieces in my life? I believe baked into the darkest moments of your life could be the assignments and the callings of your life. Why? Because we have a God that works all things together for the good. What does that mean? Works all things together for the good. I believe the good (laughs) is the works that you will do for other people. I believe it is not just your own personal hope and redemption story in heaven. I don't believe it's just your story. I believe for the good is for the good of others, for the good of the story of God, for the good of what he's doing on this planet. It's so much bigger than just you. And does that compel you? (laughs) Does that thought compel you? To want to share your story or to want to take a good hard look at it and to imagine, God, how could you think about baked into the darkest moments of our life might be the assignment for our life. But I appreciate how she talks about God working. We we do kind of take that scripture. God's working everything for my Mm -hmm. good meaning or for the good of those who love him. We sort of think about that being about our story. And she's actually saying, what if it's what you bring to other people's story? Like, what if it's that you're meeting people in their own darkness because of what you've been through? Or what if there's a ministry God has for you out of the pain that you've experienced? What do you think about that? I do like the idea that it's not just about us, Mm -hmm. right? We do always use that verse for, and it is also for us. Like, this is not like an either or. Yep. But the idea that our pain could be a blessing or a learning place or a whatever for other people, I think kind of it redeems pain a little bit. Yeah, it totally. It redeems struggle. And uh, I think it, it is a kind of a more holistic view of, of our struggle. So, no, I, I think this can be another light in the darkness, if you will. Yeah, I, I think that it's so true. And I think for all of us to kind of have the posture of, okay, when we go through something difficult, certainly take as much space as you need to grieve. But perhaps because God is so good that in that darkness, there's something that God wants to birth in you that's new and fresh and actually is your contribution to the church and to the world. And um Anyway, kind of a different way to think about what it means to for God mm-hmm. to work all things for good, especially the darkest moments of your life. How Love is this verse used her. terribly? Um, yeah, great question. I feel like I'm trying to think of the bad times I've heard it interpreted. Probably just like it, it can be used um, in a few ways terribly. One, if someone is suffering mm-hmm. and you just say it to them, like almost dismissive, all like, good. <laughs> yeah, don't worry. God's going to work all things for good. And like, meanwhile, they're, you know, they've lost a child. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. That's not what people want to hear in that moment. I think it's also been used almost as an excuse, let's say for sin, for bad behavior, for what, oh, don't worry, God's going to work all things out for good. Mm-hmm. What about, what do you think it's been used here? Really, that first one you said, mm-hmm. somebody goes through a difficult time and we don't know what to say to them. Yeah. And so the answer becomes, hey, God works all things for good, mm-hmm. as if that means what you just went through will be good in the end. Oh, wow. The death death of your friend or the loss of your marriage or the loss of your own health. Yeah. It will, in the end, you're going to look at this and go, And you're going to call it good. That was good. 
and you're sitting there in the moment going, excuse me? then you're going to call good me punching you in the face right, right now, right? Like, so Right. God works all things for good. Boom. It, it becomes like, hey, it's not, it, th- this verse is not saying everything is good. Yeah. We live in a broken world. Yeah. Consequences of that brokenness. There's pain, all of this stuff. But yet we do still believe that God can work these things out so that good can come from mm. them in our own lives. And as Jenny Allen is saying, in other people's lives as yeah. well. And I think a question is, how do you begin sort of, um, I guess it's submitting to God or releasing to God or just being connected enough with God in your pain, in your dark nights of the soul seasons mm-hmm. to go, all right, God, I trust you. This thing may never be good. Yep. It's never going to be good that my friend died of cancer. But like, how are you going to bring good from it? How can I walk close enough with you that I see you doing this and I wonder, is that just a matter of like surrender every day? Is that a matter of just being honest with God? Is that a matter of like staying faithful in Christian community? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it is a matter of staying faithful in community, allowing other people to help us see the goodness that can come out of this. Um, but I do think the most important thing with this verse is just not to minimize people's pain. Yeah, I think you're uh, right. But you wrote a book on lament yep. and there might have been people thinking, what are we writing a book on lament for? God said all things are good. Right. God didn't say all things are good. Mm. He said he will work out all things mm. for the good. Yeah. And uh, and that becomes much more hopeful instead of dismissive. Yeah. So I, I don't know. How do you? You wrote on lament. How do we hold on to this verse in the midst of the hardest times of life? I just feel like so much of our faith is a theology of paradox. And it's it's a hard thing to grasp because it is paradox. Right. But so much of it is holding on to the fact that evil is evil and this world is broken. And simultaneously, we are experiencing down payments of God's kingdom and God's shalom. And like you're holding God's goodness. Evil's evil at the same time. Trusting one day God will win, but in that in-between stage that we're all in, we we sit with the pain. Yeah. And it's just like, we have to be able to even imperfectly say both things can be true at once, knowing this story that, you know, scripture tells us that one day God will make all things new and all things good. And certainly I think it's a matter of staying faithful, trusting that like, even if we don't feel God's presence, even mm-hmm. in his absence, good. he's good. He's working. We're going to stay faithful to him. So anyway, lots to think about for people walking through difficulty is baked into your current season, the darkest moment of your life, perhaps the assignment that God has for your life in ministering to other people. Well, coming up next, we told you we've got a really kind of fun and cranky top five list for you. Brian and I are going to vent about things that are frustrating us in life right now. We'll do that when we return. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Tomorrow, Brian and I are emceeing our first event We've together. Ever. We like to say DJing. Yeah, we we're DJing our first event together. Wiki, wiki, wiki. Uh, it's the 5K. It's the how Outreach 5K. Are, how are we DJing this? Wiki, wiki, wiki. That's how, that's how we DJ. That's our DJ style. I like it. And uh, we're going to be announcing the races, announcing the winners' names. Generally, just, you know, having fun watching racers, not racing ourselves. Oh, yeah. No, no. There'll be no running on our behalf, yeah. not even walking. Yeah. I hope they have stools for us or seats to sit I know. in and is do it this gonna with. Is it going to be cold, too? I'm like, how bundled up do we need it to be? be do we need to have coffee? I, there was rain in the forecast, but I don't think the Are rain is on there anymore. Are they providing coffee? Like, 
what's the coffee situation? That's, that's my actual how many times like. Can you say coffee? Right, that's my current. That's my current question. All right, Brian. We promised the people it's Friday. We're gonna do a top five list, and we've decided we're just gonna kind of vent. Top five things frustrating us right now. So this is pretty general, pretty broad. And is a little bit of a, a macro, micro grinds my gears. That's Top right. five That's grinds right. my gears, essentially, is what this is. Can I vent about my first one? I'm going to go with number five. Yep. Okay. Um, it is this. It, this is an interpersonal relationship. This with such a window into our souls. I know. This is an interpersonal conflict my husband and I are having. Love it. He wants my 16-year-old son to drive him to the airport, Midway Airport. Sometime soon. I do not feel comfortable with my 16-year-old son driving to the airport. My 16-year-old son does not feel comfortable driving to the airport. But my husband believes this is a rite of passage. He should learn to drive to the airport and back. And it is so frustrating to me because I feel like I love my husband. He's amazing. He's not listening to us, Brian. And I'm I'm losing sleep over it. It is stressing me out. Don't know what we're going to do. Do you want... Am I supposed to? Uh, or I don't know if you should. You like, me? should you comment or not? I mean, I don't know. I'm you, let you work out your yeah, own. You I'm going to let shouldn't. you work out. You I, I do have thoughts, but. Uh, that is my, that is one of the top five things frustrating me right now. Perfect. Perfect. My number five, because I'm old. Yep. Because it's constant. Yep. Back issues. Oh, I feel that. Oh, I have back issues today too. And I didn't even put that on the list. I don't remember their time in I don't remember what it was like not to have at least minor back mm. issues like they become such a ever present time of my life uh, yeah. something in my life that I don't really even I, I think to myself what was it like to be in the, my mid 20s just <laughs> running around doing all this stuff oh can you imagine you didn't even like think about your back don't, it's crazy Yep, nope. it's crazy. Back back issues. That's a good one. All okay. right, top five things that All are right. frustrating us All right. right now. My in our number lives. four is gonna sound funny, but hear me out. <laughs> the I, last one was funny. I am I am tired of school for my kids, meaning I'm tired of getting up with them in the morning, making sure they're out the door on time, making sure they're doing their homework. I'm ready for summer break. I want them sleeping in. I don't want to have to be rushing. I want my schedule to be my schedule and not determined yes. by the school. So I'm sick of school. Mention. Oh, nice. You got me an audible okay. mention. Okay. There we go. Yep. Uh, number four for me, this is super specific. Okay. We bought my daughter in college a bike at Christmas. Okay. She got to put this bike together. Oh, no. And so over Easter, we started putting this bike together. Yeah. This bike is still sitting in my living room <laughs> because I am the least handy person in the world. Yeah, and we can't figure yeah. out certain things about the brakes mm. and this and that, but we're way too far in mm. to ask for help here. Mm. And so if you looked, and I know it's driving my wife up a wall, if you saw like a B-reel or a picture from our living room, there's since always like a bike Easter the- Sunday, oh, no. there's a big bike sitting in our, in okay, our living room. Okay, this is hilarious. Just sitting there. Wow. And I have no, not a lot of confidence this bike is going to work. Can you not take done. it to the bike shop Sure I can. I'm but cheap. But- yeah, yeah. Also, as a man who's 45 uh, years old, you should I should be, be able, able to, to make put a bike, a bike together. <laughs> wow. It's not that many parts, but and I'm following the book, but it's just not fitting together. I never knew exactly. you had to really like put bikes together. I thought you it's could just, just like a buy matter. a bike. You can. It's just okay. a matter of how much you want to spend oh, on some bike. Oh, I see. Okay. And I think my wife probably ordered it from yeah. somewhere. Amazon so. or yeah, something like that. So. All right. Um, I am on number three, and this is also very specific. 
Kevin and I had a great dustbuster, you know, those like little hand <laughs> vacuums, and it broke. One of our kids broke it. So we bought a new one, and it's terrible, Brian. We bought a different one, and it's terrible. And I cannot find, like, the original really dust good dustbuster. Dust I'm using that as a catch-all term. Yep. I don't know if that's even the brand, but, like, my – it's it, and I it just makes me crazy. And I use my dustbuster a lot because I sweep, and then I vacuum it up with it. But now I just it's it's not fulfilling my dust busting needs. My wife just bought a new vacuum because oh. one of our vacuum because our vacuum gave out. Yeah. And I, we talked to budgets yesterday and I was like, what did you have to buy at Amazon for this amount? And she's like, I promise I looked for <laughs> and I was like, that's how much a vacuum costs. <laughs> like, They're expensive. Oh, They're really expensive. I didn't know that until yeah. I said is that really what they got? Yeah, yeah. All right. So, yes, I'm with you. Number three, going to be for a lot of us at this time of year, but let me explain why. Taxes. Yeah, yeah. Because, Aubrey, my wife had a great year uh, at Carry From Photography. Amen. Uh, I was not keeping enough out of one of my paychecks, namely my Radio 1. Mm-hmm. My cousin, who is an accountant in Colorado, was kind enough to like do our taxes for us yeah. because it got complicated with Carrie and her, her business. Uh, it's a one-time deal. Like We've got it now I, set yes. up. Wait, you'll be better next year. I've never owed more money than I owed this oh, year. Oh, it's so painful. That was us last year, I've and then we had to adjust. owed Ugh. more Ugh. money. I'm sorry. Rarely, as a pastor, I've rarely right. owed, owed money. Owed money, yeah. This year, I was like, you Ugh. have got to be kidding me, and mm. it's so painful. Mm. And as well as we did this year, that money all went to other places. Yeah. You and I talked about orthodontia yep. the other day. yep. Oh, it's taxes painful. this year, so, particularly. Usually taxes are annoying because of the process of doing yes, them. Yes. This, this was annoying the reality because of, of the result of said taxes. Yeah. So mine is actually, my number two is actually related to taxes. Here's why. Kevin, both of our, it's this is a car problem, tax problem. Kevin's car needed repair. Mm-hmm. My car needs repair. We decided we'll start with Kevin's car. We'll pay it off with tax return. Guess what? We didn't get the tax return we thought we were going to. So now I've got payments on Kevin's car. We have to figure out how to make. And my car still driving around oh. without the repairs done, hoping well, it'll be okay. So that's sort of a car problem, tax problem combined in one. car problem, because that's going to get to my number one oh, when we get there. Oh, okay. All right. But number two for me, allergies. Oh, they're so bad right now. I am not normally. They are a, bad. So I'm not normally a bad allergy person, yeah. but the beginning of allergy season, I'll struggle. Yeah. My eyes have been going crazy, like oh. just crazy. And like I'm carrying eye drops and oh. all this stuff. Allergy season. It feels like it hit and then it got cold again and mm. now it's hit again. I, I could do without it. You know what? I, I remember I was the one who said when it got warm. We'll take even allergy season because it's oh. finally warm again. Now you're you're second Never. guessing. If your I own ever words. say that again, you need to tell me. I will curse to you. Not ever say that okay. again. So you're saying this very emphatically. I didn't have much on my honorable mention, but I'm going to move to honorable mentions, and I'm going to say allergies because yep. they're yep. really bad right now. I'm also going to throw in a general like because it is getting warmer, even though it got colder. It's warmer again. Whatever it is. It's time to do yard work and our driveway needs repaired. No. And like those things feel stressful to me. They're yep. just hanging over my yep. head. All right. Uh, honorable mentions. I actually have two. Okay. One goes without saying it's an it's an evergreen one. That's being social media it just gets more and more annoying. Yeah, it does. Uh, but the other one that came up for me when you mentioned school, mm-hmm. I feel like especially our public 
uh, my daughter in her junior high, middle school. Yeah. Is just perpetually standardized testing. They have been in so many tests for the like, past few weeks, could haven't we, they? Could we maybe teach our children? Yeah. Could we stop worrying about the tests that evaluate you as a school and maybe teach my child? It's driving it me is, up a I, wall. I agree with you. It is making me absolutely crazy. To the point that I was like, Carrie, can we just keep her home? Yeah. But then you run into other problems and it's 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 never ending. It the standardized is. testing. And can I add on top of this? That's so annoying. I love teachers. But when did we start having teachers do meetings during school? That is happening. And then they just get substitutes, right? My daughter said she's got a substitute teacher in one of her classes every day. Because these teachers are in meetings and they've they've negotiated them not to be before school or after, or after school. After school, so then they bring in a substitute or the kids I are watching know. a show or something job like is to that. Teach our children. So maybe we start <laughs> stop pulling teachers from classes and, and teach stop our kids. Stop having so, much. so many meetings. Stop standardized. Yes, standardized oh, that testing. One I got so more much. passionate about. Wow, that you, wow. you really felt that. All right, I did. Uh, you want to go? I'll go my number one, and then I'll let you hear yours. Yep, I'm going to yep. try to make this fast. It actually is a long story, but. My parents, in the name of being helpful, decided to take (laughs) out all of the cushioning inside of my couch and replace it. This was several months ago, Brian. It is horrible. We are not comfortable on our couch. We are having to buy new couch cushion stuffing and constantly trying to get it right. And we're almost to the point where, like, if we had tax return money, you know what we would do? Throw away our couch and buy a new one. My parents... For whatever reason, ruined our couch. And it is so, it is a constant frustration of my life because every time we sit down, we're like, this couch is now terrible. Why did they think this was a good idea? That's really, yep. really Yeah, funny. I love you, mom and dad, if you're listening, but don't touch my couch again. Why did they choose to pull it out? This is going to take, we need a whole segment okay. about my parents trying to be helpful. Save yeah. it. Okay. All right. Number one for me, and this is cars, and this is everything, it's insurance. I got in an accident 12 days ago. Oh, that's right. I forgot uh, about that. No, now it's more than that. Okay. But uh, a couple it was weeks 12 ago. days ago. And Aubrey, uh, it took them all 12 days for my car to even get taken from the tow yard to Are you serious? the place where it's going to get fixed. And then I was told the place where it's going to get fixed, the backup could be a couple weeks. My rental, it's, it's been all that I've had to do. I've been on the phone with insurance claims people every day for like five days in a row. No way. And that this person's blaming this person. This person's blaming this person. I don't even think it's an insurance issue. I actually think it's the tow place, but it is never ending. And wow. I can't get my arms around wow. it. And it is like ruining my life. Man, I feel like we could do this for like five seconds. We do a whole hour on top things for us, top five things frustrating us right now. But we're so glad you've been you know with us. You're not frustrating us. Yeah, I don't want my wife to do this. Yeah, list. Kevin probably shouldn't do this either. <laughs> Brian and I will be back again on Monday from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson. And you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.